Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Today we've got a podcast from the E3 conference in Dallas, Texas for my good friend Sally Gary of Centerpiece, which is a great organization uh, helping foster conversations in the church for uh, how to best love and serve the LGBTQ community. And we do one with Justin Lee today from that event uh, from a couple weeks ago, and I hope you really enjoy it. Uh, let me also say thank you for everyone who has uh, supported the book. Thank you for the tweets, the Facebook posts, the Instagram. Uh, thank you for those of you who left an Amazon review or review elsewhere. It means a whole lot to me. Uh, I would, I would, it would mean a whole lot to me if you have read the book to take the time to go leave a review. If it's not a five star review, then you need to go check your heart and keep that to yourself. But somehow, some way, uh, reviews like on Amazon make a big difference in people getting to see it. So if you have read the book and you have 30 minutes, or 30 minutes, that'd be a long review, 30 seconds to spare, I would be forever in debt to you in a very small, like, 30-second way. But it would mean a lot to me. Drop a review. Thank you so much. Get a copy of the book. Buy one for your friend, like Christmas time's coming up. Go and get a couple for your family. And... Yeah, thank you so much for all your help on the book. I do appreciate it. Now, before we get to Justin Lee, let me tell you about Lipscomb University's Marriage and Family Therapy Program. Everyone wants to make a difference in the world. Lipscomb University's Marriage and Family Therapy Master's Program specializes in training people to make huge differences in the lives of individuals, couples, and families. Whether you are a new college graduate, someone ready to make a significant career shift, or a minister who wants to expand the scope of your ministry, the Lipscomb Marriage and Family Therapy Master's Degree offers a rigorous 24-month program that can prepare you to become a difference maker. Located in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, Lipscomb's Marriage and Family Therapy Program is accredited by the Commission of Accreditation for Marriage and Family Therapy Education, which means the program has met the highest and most rigorous accreditation standards in the nation. To find out more about how you can become a difference maker, go to lipscombuniversity.edu backslash MFT or call 615-966-5237 and ask for Kathy Johnson. Now taking the applications for fall 2019. Check them out. And now we go to Justin Lee. Lee. Uh, Let's give him a round of applause. Now, Justin. Yes. Have have you ever done anything with the Church of Christ before? I don't I don't think so. Okay. I feel like we need to tell you like what the Church of Christ is all about. Um, I mean you experienced the acapella singing. Yes. Just a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Did you know I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but we did uh, the Lord's Army song. Whatever what is the name of that song? Yeah. Have you have you heard that song before? I don't think so. Well, did you notice the guy behind us went into the harmony of that? Like we do kids' songs with harmony. Yeah. Like, we're, we're pretty intense about Oh, the about Lord's that. Army, that song, yes, I do know. But I, I didn't... Uh, most of the songs we did, I didn't know. Okay, but have you ever heard the Lord's Army with a harmony with, part? Not with harmony, no. You're welcome. Appreciate You're welcome. That. Appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're here yeah. for that. Um, I feel like you've got caught up in the Church of Christ. We just do harmonies with every song. <laughs> birthday parties were amazing. Amazing. When's your next birthday? Uh, I, I just had one in September, so it'll, it'll be a year. So the next one will be in September too, you think? I, I think so. Okay. Yeah. You need to get some Church of Christ friends before September. Your parties will be way better. 
can serve the same beverages, but the singing will be better. <laughs> I don't know where we're going with this. I'm just kind of doing some warm-up stuff here. Okay, so we've got you introduced to the Church of Christ. And um, you live in Florida. I do, in Orlando, yeah. Born and raised, though, in North, North Carolina. Carolina. Okay. Well, born in Atlanta, actually. Atlanta? Yeah. Really? Yeah. How long were you in no, Atlanta? No, I'm lying to you. Yes, really. Yeah. I don't know. We haven't spent a whole lot of time together. We don't have a lot of trust yet. I'm just trying to build the trust. So you're born in Atlanta, moved yeah. to North Carolina, went to yeah. school at Wake Forest, yeah. studied psychology. Yes, I did. And then now you're in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you the questions. We, we try to introduce you to the Church of Christ. Let's introduce you to Texas. <laughs> have you spent any time in Texas before? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about Texas? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. This is your chance to win the room. If you answer poorly, they're all done with you. <laughs> See, he does this to me right before I'm going to be speaking repeatedly through the weekend. So, mm-hmm. uh... You know, I found, honestly, every time I've been to Texas, I found that people have been very warm and friendly to me. Yeah. So. That's a solid answer. Is that okay? Does yeah, that work? Yeah, we're going to round of applause. Yeah. I once was in Memphis speaking to my good friend Josh Ross's church, and Josh was going on about how much he loves Memphis, and so I thought a great way to connect to the crowd is, I told the crowd, I said, you know, Josh loves this town so much. He loves it so much here. Can you imagine how much you would love it if you guys had good barbecue? I got booed. I thought it didn't do me to the crowd because I was being honest. doesn't always work to be honest. I'm just telling you that. Listen, I come from North Carolina where we have a very strong opinions on barbecue, so I'm not even going to go there with you. For your sake, let's just change the subject here. <laughs> I think we can talk across a lot of divides, but I don't think we can talk across the divide of Texas barbecue versus... Like North Carolina barbecue. No. Uh, we, well, you can't even talk across the divide of Eastern North Carolina versus Western North Carolina barbecue. So, I, yeah, no. So you understand that the book that you wrote has limitations. Absolutely. Barbecue is one of those. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. What are, what are the other limitations? So, no, I think actually... So, yeah, so I wrote this book, Talking Across the Divide. I think that it is important for us to be able to talk about even the issues that are that are difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but it doesn't mean that we have to come to agreement. It means that um, you and I can talk about areas in which we disagree, sometimes areas in which we disagree quite strongly and, which, uh, and on which we both think that the right answer matters, but do it in a way that is respectful and gracious where we actually listen to each other and treat each other as human beings rather than just... Um, uh, poster children for uh, a, a position, you know, where we just treat each other as issues instead of people. And I think that's where we need to get as a, as a church and as a country and, and just as people. Yeah. Uh, in your book, you talk about how many people have noted that now we seem to be more divided than ever before. As a nation, uh, politically, religiously, there, there's so many things that have caused us to almost set up shop and this is who I am and this is who you are and we're getting farther and farther away from that. And one of the things that you pointed to in your book is the internet and yeah. the, the amount of communities that we can jump into which often become echo chambers. How does that perpetuate divisions in real life? 
So, I, you know, and I, I don't know if I would necessarily say more divided than ever, but certainly more divided that, than I think ever in my lifetime. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the, the Internet, I think, has done a lot of wonderful things for us. But one of the things that it has, has done is it's made it easier than ever to find communities of people who think just like you. Whatever view you have on whatever obscure issue, you can go online and find a whole bunch of people around the world who share that view. And that can be wonderful in some ways. Um, growing up as a, as a gay kid uh, who discovered he was gay at 18 uh, in the Southern Baptist Church, um, being able to find other gay Christians was hugely important for me. But the problem with being able to form these little communities online is that it makes it really easy to build vast networks of people who think like us and then immediately drop people from our circles the, the moment we have a disagreement with them. And so it, it's easy to get into bubbles, into echo chambers, where um, we're just repeating back and forth the the... Um, views that we already agree with. And research shows that this doesn't just reinforce those views. It actually moves us more and more to the extremes. And so the other side, the, the folks outside of our bubbles, make less and less sense to us over time. And this is incredibly dangerous for us because as, as a church, uh, as, as a nation, um, we have to be able to talk to the people we disagree with um, because, for one thing, nobody is right about everything. And so if I can't listen to people who disagree with me, then um, I'm, how else am I going to find out areas in which maybe I haven't thought through things as well as I think I have? But even if I'm right about everything, if I don't ever talk to people who disagree with me, I won't understand them. I won't understand why they disagree or why they think what they think. And even if they're wrong, I've got to understand why they think what they think if I ever want to change their mind on anything. Mm -hmm. and, and so this sort of like shallow community, which we can buy into on, in online communities, mm. it's almost like this vaccine where it gives you a little dose of community and then it makes you immune to a real community because you get used to people yeah. who have all the same opinions on every issue that you hold dearly, but you've tasted just a little bit of the other side that you feel like you know it, but you don't want it. That's a great way of putting it. Can I, like, go edit my book? And yes. A second edition, yeah. just include that? Yeah, just put that on there. And not, and, and, and not give you credit for it at all? Just take credit for it myself? Here's the deal. <laughs> if you acknowledge that Texas has better barbecue, it's yours. Right here and right now. I tell you what, I actually, this is the really shocking thing, I, I actually don't know if I've ever had Texas barbecue. So while I'm here, here's, okay, I have to go back home tonight. I've got to drive to Austin. I've got something in my church tomorrow that I've got to be a part of, and I can't be here. Can, can someone just make sure this man right here gets some Texas barbecue? Can one of you just pledge to the Lord that you'll do that? I see a hand in the back. I say, okay, there's some hands, okay? Where's Trey? Trey also needs some barbecue, okay? These two people, get him some Texas barbecue, okay? Please? Yes? Okay. Back That's to the, the weirdest altar call I've ever heard. <laughs> That's because we're Church of Christ and we don't have an altar. We'll do... We don't do that. See? All right, all right. You got to know your crowd. You got to know your crowd. 
Okay, uh, let's go back to the book. Uh, so we're very divided. Um, I think it's the internet that's causing that. I think it's this fake kind of substitute community that we get. I think partisan politics, um, the way that there's media talks past each other. Um, mm-hmm. I had someone on my podcast named Adam Hamilton. Do you know who that is? Uh, yeah. Kansas, Kansas City? Kansas-ish? Something? Yes, maybe? You don't know where he is? Sure. I don't know. Somewhere. Okay. So I don't know where anybody is. My sense of geography is not great. It's like middle America. He's there. Okay. Uh, so I had him on the podcast, and he told me that every day he looks at CNN and Fox News because he wants to see the two kind of main stories that media is telling. And obviously, they're telling completely different stories. And so I've been doing that for maybe less than a year, but I watch this, and it's like, supposedly these are the same stories, but I'm getting two completely different accounts that are being told. Yeah. And so we have, in our society, whatever way you're accumulating news, you're getting different stories, and people are kind of getting bifurcated. This is my camp, this is your camp. Yeah, and, that's, and that is mainstream news. That's, I mean, you're talking about major news, you know, cable news networks there. Um, it gets even worse when you're looking at online news sources because sometimes uh, there are major online news sources on the left and on the right where there are very few, if any, standards for uh, you know, what is fit for publication other than just this gets clicks. And so, yeah, it's really easy for us to turn only to news sources that fit our own biases. And that's not just true when it comes to politics. It's true on all kinds of issues. Um, But in my book, I talk about the Wall Street Journal has a website called uh, uh, Red Feed, Blue Feed, or Blue Feed, Red Feed. I can't remember. It's one or the other. And they do something similar to what you're talking about. They will, you can look up a topic and they will show you uh, news articles um, on the left and on the right. News sources, news sources preferred by Republicans, news sources preferred by Democrats. And you can see when you just look something up like guns, you can see not only uh, do the different news sources have different spins on the same uh, stories, but often they're featuring entirely different stories altogether. And so you begin to see when you look at that that we are not all going online and reading the same news. We have different ideas about what is even going on in the world. And so how on earth do we come to the same place? How do we, how do we have a conversation with each other that makes any sense at all if we don't even agree about what the basic facts are of what's going on in the world? Yeah. One of the things that seems to be happening is that more of us are being discipled by whatever cable news talking head that we trust than we are by Jesus. So whenever we get squeezed, what comes out of us is it's, it's CNN, it's MSNBC, it's Fox News, it's whoever, and those are the words that we start regurgitating. And what I think that is, it's a sign that we are spending more time with them than with Jesus. And so what's coming out of us isn't Jesus, it's them, which is what causes the church to lose, I think, her, her best witness, which is to say, in, in a society that's divided, we should be a voice that says, let's unite on something that transcends these issues. Yeah. And I think that's what... So Sally said, come to this podcast, do it. Um, and I, Justin Lee was going to be the person I was going to talk to. And I said, Sally, I'll do whatever you ask me to. I will drive down here, drive back home in the middle of the night because I'm a big fan of Sally. 
I didn't know, like, I didn't read your book beforehand. Luckily, I read it. I was like, oh, good. I like what he's saying. This would have, <laughs> like, the rest of the podcast would be really awkward if I didn't like what you said at this point. Because I would agree, but then I'd be like, so let's talk about barbecue more. Like, if, if I didn't <laughs> like your book. But what I like about your book is you're trying to say there's other options. Because when there's conflict, yeah. typically what we do, we, we fight, we ignore, we compromise. Yeah. And none of those three are really going to get us where we need to go. And you try to give us a fourth option that I think can get us there. Right. And, and I call it strategic dialogue. And uh, the gist of it is that I believe that there are ways of having dialogue with people on issues where we disagree without compromising our integrity, without compromising our, our uh, moral views. If, if there's a, you know, because there are some issues on which um, you know, it's okay to just say, well, everyone has their own opinion. Uh, you know, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Everyone's got their own opinion, and that's fine. Bluebell. Un- unless you choose butter pecan, in which case you're wrong and you're going to hell. But um, um, it- it's... I, I, there are issues where we can disagree, and that's okay, but there are issues where, no, there is a right and a wrong answer. And I think I know what the right answer is and that you're wrong and you think you know what the right answer is and I'm wrong. And sometimes there's no middle ground. And so we've got to still be able to have dialogue even in those situations where we're having honest dialogue where we, where we honestly talk about the fact that we do disagree and that we do think it matters, but we do it in a way that, that is respectful um, and that moves the conversation forward and helps us to learn from each other. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I'm about. And um, so you're talking about my book. I've, I've written two books. My first book, Torn, is about uh, growing up realizing that I'm gay uh, as a Christian, and it's, it's written to a Christian audience. Um, this book, Talking Across the Divide, is written very much as a Christian, and I'm very open about my faith in the book, but I wasn't writing just to a Christian audience. And so I talk about how I think... All of us as human beings ought to learn how to do this kind of strategic dialogue. But I'll tell you, since we're talking here in a Christian context, I think it is particularly important for us as Christians because I I absolutely agree with what you're saying, that we as Christians need to have a witness to a polarized world. Um, We need to be the ones shining the light and showing what it looks like to have unity and grace and humility um, and, and compassion and love in the midst of disagreement. If the world doesn't see that in the church, where is it going to see it? Um, and so if we as Christians become known more for our divisiveness than for our, our grace, I think we're not representing Christ. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't come very easily to have (laughs) those sort of conversations. And I love what Sally was doing is trying to say, I am for people who have, for lack of better words, a conservative read on this issue. And I'm for people who have liberal progressive read on this issue. And and I think God is for, for, for both groups. Uh, Unfortunately, when we get both groups together, it, it becomes problematic because one of the things I, I sense as a pastor is that there's some people who, who are part of a church that have a conservative read on the issue, and they have kids that they are scared because the world is telling them a message that contradicts 
what they believe to be God's teaching on the subject. Right. And so they want to come to church and let this be a place that is going to be a bastion of you know, true teaching on God's word on the issue. And then you have another group that says, we believe what God is doing is different, and we want this place to be a safe place that's bringing love to people that the church isn't accepting. And both of them have different like, expectations for what they want church to do for their kids. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to create a conversation about something that people have vastly different desires of often what they want church to do specifically for their kids in this issue. How can we have conversations around such a, a, a fracturing subject? Boy, that's, that's a big question, right? Um, <laughs> and I, I, I have about a million things I want to say in response to it. Um, but the, the biggest thing that comes to mind when you say that is I think that stories are so incredibly important. I loved that um, so far at this, at this conference, I, I love already hearing these stories. I love that when Sally was up here speaking earlier and brought Toby up, like that there was, there was, there were stories. Um, I, I think because, because the thing is, if you and I disagree, if we disagree about what the Bible says on this, and if we disagree about what the church should teach and what the church's policy should be on this or that, um, we can still share our stories of why it matters to us, of when we first became aware of these issues, of um, why we're concerned, what we're afraid of, what we're hopeful for. These are stories that we can share. And we can hear that from each other and humanize each other instead of just seeing each other as enemies on a battlefield. And that is that doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't answer all the questions, but it sure does get us a whole lot further than, frankly, a lot of the conversations in many churches across America have gotten. Um, because so often we're given the choice between either uh, we, we say, well, this doesn't matter. Why are we even fighting over this? You know, everyone has a right to their own opinion. And that doesn't make people, that, that doesn't satisfy people who think, no, there is a right and a wrong answer, and I want the church to teach what is the right answer. People on both sides who feel that way. Um, so I don't think glossing over it helps. And then, but then on the other hand, you've got folks who say, well, we're not going to gloss over it, so we're going to just fight it out, and I'm going to make sure that I win this fight. And, and that is the way that the world solves these uh, problems. If we see each other as siblings in Christ, then we owe each other more than that to say we're a family and we're going to work through this as a family and we're going to hear each other's stories and and hear each other's experiences and really take seriously one another's concerns theological concerns personal concerns uh, because there's a lot of pain and a lot of fear and and fear about what happens to the kids as you say you know it's, it's one of those fears um and i think that's where when we can sit down and say uh, and, and, and a big part of this I talk about in Talking Across the Divide is listening. If I can, for the moment, put aside all of my fears and anger and hurt and pain and you know, all of it and, and, and just put it aside for a moment and shut up and say, 
I have lots of opinions on this, but you know, the first thing I want to do is I really want to understand where you're coming from and really hear you out and ask good questions until I really fully understand where you're coming from and can repeat back to you, here's what I'm hearing you say. And here's, if I do that, then I make you feel much more comfortable to then be able to listen to me. Um, the more we listen to each other, it doesn't mean we're going to necessarily change our minds, but it does help us at least to get to a point of understanding where hopefully we're at least operating then with the same set of basic information about what the situation actually is. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, just the simple ability to do, I think, what some counselors refer to as active listening. Yeah. Where, I, I'm going to hear what you say. I'm going to engage with it. I'm going to uh, – you talk about this in the book where I'm going to tell you your story back to you in a way that would, like, make you be okay with it. Yeah. And there's something that happens when I can hear your story. I can verbalize it back to you because I, I've listened. I've understood who you were. And I think the, the Christian story is word becomes flesh. Like it's not just a book that drops from the heavens. It's right. word becomes flesh. It becomes a story. It becomes a, a, an actual flesh and blood person. And so I think there's something about these ideas becoming humanized. Yes. I, I think it's fascinating that – the, the Bible could have been just a set of uh, theological rules and, and doctrines. But instead, it's largely a book of stories. It's largely a book of, of stories of the interaction of God with, with God's people. Yeah. And um, Jesus taught through stories, through parables. Stories seem to be very important to God. And so I think they should be important to us. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so you spent some time in the book about how you think we should treat aliens um, or something like that, yeah. where you compared the difference of if the only alien movie you saw – okay, first of all, how many of you have seen E.T.? Yes? Okay. Lot, solid E.T. viewership in here. If you saw E.T., how do you feel about aliens? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. How many of you have seen uh, Independence Day? That was the other one, right? Yeah. Independence Day, yes? Okay. Uh, the real one, not like the new one, like the, the Will Smith version, okay? That's the real one. Okay, have you seen that? <laughs> Aliens, thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay? Thumbs down, yeah. My four-year-old says, thumbs down, bad choice, right? Aliens, <laughs> thumbs down, bad choice. What's the difference of if you've seen E.T. versus if you saw Independence Day and how you, how you treat an alien? Right, so these are very different stories about, about who extraterrestrial aliens are. And, uh, and, and then which is the right one? <laughs> well, so, so in the book, the argument I make is if, if you've seen E.T. And, you and, and you discover tomorrow that there are, uh, you know, that we've discovered spaceships headed towards Earth, you're probably going to be pretty excited about the possibilities here, um, an opportunity to learn more about the universe, to learn more about you know, another part of God's creation, to, to interact with these beings and find out what they're like and find out can we communicate and uh, you know, to, to meet real-life ETs. And, and when you run into someone who has the complete uh, you know, polar opposite perspective from you, someone who is like, no, we need to blow them out of the sky before they get close, that might be puzzling to you until you find out that they've never seen E.T., but they have seen Independence Day and War of the Worlds and V and all of these films and TV shows in which aliens come to destroy us all. And it's, it, it, we, because we have different scripts in our heads, we have different stories that we know about what extraterrestrial beings are like, 
we have very different reactions and they're not intellectual reactions. They're just gut reactions. It's just like, no, I'm afraid. And so I don't think if someone is afraid because they've only heard scary stories about these aliens and you would like for them to at least give these aliens the benefit of the doubt, you know, okay, you, you know, you can have the guns on standby, but let's at least find, you know, at least see, see who they are first. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. You're in Texas. You don't have to tell someone to have guns on standby. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We've got that under control. Yeah, I realized that after I said Yeah, you're okay. Keep on going. Yeah. You're doing good. You're doing good. Uh, but, you know, if, if, <laughs> if that's the perspective you want to have, just trying to make intellectual arguments isn't going to get you there. Yeah. You've got to share a different story. Um, when I wrote my first book, Torn, you know, I wanted to make some points to my Christian friends about how the church could do a better job of treating gay people and more broadly LGBTQ people. But a lot of other books had already been written and a lot of, you know, people had given speeches in which they said, here's what the church should do. And I thought, what, what I would like to do is tell a story, tell a story of my experience and, and then, and use that story to try to offer some different perspectives so that folks, even if they continue to disagree with me, at least have a better sense of where I'm coming from and what the experience looks like from a different perspective. And I've heard from a lot of people who've said, yeah, that really changed my perspective on the whole thing because I'd never heard a story like that before. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Merritt had a piece that ran maybe a year ago where he talked about how the, the caricatures that get communicated and so the progressive caricature will say that everyone who is, you know, has a conservative read on the issue is hateful right. and they're unloving and, and they just don't have any concern for anyone in the LGBTQ community. Right. And the caricature on the other side is that these LGBTQ Christians don't care about the Bible and that they don't have any concern for the tradition or, or what Scripture has to say in their life. And both of those things don't hold up if you actually get to know someone else's story. But often we want to sit at an arm's length, arm's length and say, you know, I read a Facebook post about this, and so I get everyone on that side, and I, I know what they think, and I've heard a news story, and I've heard someone talk about it, so that's, that's all the research I need to do. I already have my mind made up, and so I'm going to stay on my team. And in the book you talked about, one of the things about this sort of interaction, this sort of dialogue, is that I can remove our propensity to stay further entrenched with the team that we're on. Yeah. And so you do this great uh, study. I know you're a psychology major. So the study by a psychologist named Ash is just coming from right in your, your soul because you memorize all this stuff. <laughs> but the psychologist does a study where he gets a room full of people like this, and everyone is in on the act except the one person who, who doesn't realize that they're actually the subject. And so everyone in the room is told the longest line, is that what it was? The longest line is actually not the longest one. And so everyone lies and says, oh, yeah, that, the one that's shorter is the longest one. And so the question is, does the other person go along with the entire room that's telling them something that's not true? Would they rather be a part of the team or would they be willing to stand against them? And the majority of people would say, I want to be part of the team. I, I, I'm not willing to say what's true because I'd rather be united with everyone else in the room. When it comes to an issue like this, it's so easy for us to stay firmly entrenched on our team, but stories somehow can get around that. Yeah, there's another example that, that I cite in the book. Um, a study that was done not that long ago at Yale where they um, they gave participants the details of what they said was a new proposal 
for uh, for the for welfare uh, in the U.S. And so they were given faked news articles and led to believe that these news articles were real. And depending on who was reading it, they were either told that this welfare proposal... uh, Well, so, okay, first of all, if they were just in general, when people were asked um, about a welfare proposal that was either very, what the the researchers called very generous or very stringent, um, typically folks who leaned Democratic tended to like the generous one and not like the stringent one. Folks who leaned Republican tended to like the stringent one and not like the generous one. Um, but what they found was really interesting was if they told people in this news article uh, Republicans have proposed this and are in favor of this plan and Democrats are opposed, or vice versa, Democrats proposed it, Republicans are opposed, people repeatedly on both sides of the aisle were in favor of the plan if told their party liked it, even if the details of the plan went against what they otherwise would have said were their values. And were opposed to the plan if told that their party opposed it, even if the details of the plan were totally in line with their values. So they got Democrats uh, writing uh, passionate letters, editorials, in favor of a plan more stringent than any real-world plan has ever been, even though Democrats tend to prefer generous welfare plans, and vice versa with Republicans, just by telling them, this is what your people like. So we often don't realize how important these teams, not just political teams, but other kinds of teams, um, are to us. That sometimes we let our teams think for us, and we think, well, because I'm this kind of person, I'm part of this community, I belong to this party, I'm, you know, this kind of Christian, you know, I go to this church and not that church— we then let that make the decision for us. When an issue arises, we're like, oh, well, I'm not that kind of Christian, so I can't believe that on this. I have to believe this. And I don't think that's that's healthy, but it makes it really, really difficult sometimes for us to change people's minds or get people to even think about things differently. And it makes it difficult for us to even think rationally about things because we don't realize how much we're affected by this. Yeah. Uh, I think if, as we become aware of the research about how decisions are made and how we come to the conclusions uh, that we believe to be true, it, it should give us a great dose of humility because we are far more influenced by things that many of us don't want to put on the table. And like, we want to be in a group. We want to, we, we want to think that we're this cold, hard, like computer that makes just rational decisions, but we all are this mixed bag of multiple things influencing what we want to decide, right. whatever camp we're in left right. or right on this issue. And my hope is that we would ultimately, for those of us who are Christians, my hope is that that would be what matters to us above all else. That ultimately, that we would say, you know, as fellow believers in Christ, um, we are committed to following Christ at all costs. We are committed to the, um, the, the, the way of, of Jesus, uh, who was a suffering servant when people expected a political leader, you know, who was, who showed grace uh, and love to even his enemies and taught us to do likewise. That though, That's the kind of people we should be. And that, that should lead us, when we find these other things that divide us, that should lead us to, to, to fault back to that kind of grace and, and love in the midst of our disagreements. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, when When we tell our stories... We often make ourselves the pro- protagonist of the story. 
right? You talk about yeah. this in the book how when I'm telling my story, I, I seem to always be the hero of whatever story I'm telling. And we all want to do that. Right, yeah. And I feel you got a, a joke coming out right now. I feel like I see it on your face. Do There's I? a grimace. <laughs> There's a grimace. I'm bracing for wow. it. Wow. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Say what you're going to say. No, I mean, if you want I mean, I'll, I'll make space. Okay, I'll keep moving. Um, as I was listening to you uh, in the book talk about that, yeah. I kept on thinking of the Christian story says that the hero of the story is never going to be me. It's always going to be God. God is the active player. I am the passive voice in the story. Like, or whatever happens, God is doing, I'm a passive player in it. Right. When we change the position that we have in our story from this is about me, this is about me figuring out to, okay, God is at work in this, mm-hmm. and I'm a secondary piece of this. It seems to create that sort of humble disposition of, okay, we're all in this together. We've got to figure this out. It's like the, the Kramer clip. Have you, did you watch Kramer? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't really watch a lot of it, but I feel like those two guys are brothers, right? Yeah, Fraser, Fraser and Niles, yeah. Fraser, yeah. Fraser's his first name or his last name? Because they would both be them, Fraser. Yeah. It's his first name? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Frazier and the guy with the... the Niles. Niles, yeah. okay. <laughs> I lost my point. I'll make a new point. I'm, I, I was tracking with you, though. I was tracking with you. Where was I going? Where, I, where, I don't know where you were going, where? but I was tracking with you as far as you went. Yeah, okay. They're both kids. Like, they're, they're the son. It doesn't matter how old they get. Right. There's still someone else who is the dad. Like, the patriarch. Like, yeah. They're not the alpha dog in the family, no matter how right. old they get. I think when we have that disposition that, like, no matter where we are in this story, like, we're not the supreme one who's making the decision on it. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's interesting you say that. So, in the book, I talk about, um, uh, as you said, this, this idea that we, we, we paint ourselves, we're, we, we tell stories with ourselves as the protagonist. So, yeah. if I'm, if I'm uh, you know, in traffic and somebody cuts me off, my immediate response is that idiot, you know, watch, watch where you're going and learn to drive and, you know, all the other wonderful Christian things that we say. And I feel like that's not all you would say. You don't know me. Okay. Fair enough. You're the hero of your story. Keep going. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, but seriously, I mean, we, we, we assume when somebody else does something to us, we tend to assume negative, like we, we assume negative things about them. We assume just the worst. But if we discover that we've cut somebody else off in traffic, it's like, if we acknowledge it at all, it's like we have to at least explain it. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, well, but you have to understand, I was having the worst day and there were a million things going on in my head and I didn't see them and they were really going too fast anyway. They shouldn't have been going that fast, you know. And it's like we, we try to tell our stories in a way that always makes us look as good as possible, even when we're admitting fault. Um, and, and we don't give that same uh, grace to others very often. Um, but I like what you're saying that like... Ultimately, it's God's story. Ultimately, if God is the protagonist, it allows us to recognize our own uh, not always pure motives and our own misdeeds, um, and hopefully also see the goodness in others and see because these are people that God loves. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of one of uh, my favorite lines. It was George W. Bush at the funeral for the police officers that were shot a couple years ago here in Dallas. 
and uh, President Bush said that we judge others by their worst of actions and we judge ourselves by our best of intentions. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you, you did that? Well, you're a terrible person. But I was trying. Like, I was trying to get to school to help my kid. You know, we look at each other differently. And when mm-hmm. God's a character who's the center of it all, it gives us a little more generosity, hopefully, between us. I'm so, taking mental notes for the second edition of my book. Okay. So. You're welcome. You're welcome. Texas barbecue, though. I still want that in the book. <laughs> okay, so hypothetically, I asked you a question earlier. I'm just going to go back and pretend like I didn't ask it already because I want to talk about it some more. Okay. Can we do that? Yeah, I don't know what question this is, but okay. Okay, because here's why. Because I did this two years ago, uh, a podcast on like Thursday night of this event, and mm. someone from my church used what I said against me. And they're like, well, yes, that's a great thing for churches to do. What are we doing like that? I'm like, that's a great idea. I don't know who said that, but you should listen to them. And so this time I want it to be where I can take what you say and I can use it to fix anything at whatever church I'm a part of. Okay? So this is what I want you to fix for all churches. Uh-oh. Okay. How, how when people come to church, they have an expectation. I want church to do this about this issue. And what I think Sally's trying to do, and I think the reason she's so connected and she gravitates towards your work is you're trying to foster a conducive environment for people to have divergent perspectives on this issue and still be in community. Is that fair to say? Well, yes. I I think what I would say is, yes, I think think that we need to be able to have divergent perspectives, as Sally said, on all kinds of issues and still be in community. That said, I also think that on some of those issues, um, there are going to be some of us, sometimes most of us, or even all of us, who think that the issue is important enough to get right, that ultimately the goal is not to have divergent perspectives. The ult- ultimately, the goal is to get it right. We just disagree on what it looks like when it's gotten right. So I, I always want to clarify a little bit, at least for me, that... Um, I don't, on, on some issues, I don't necessarily think that divergent perspectives itself is the goal, but it's the reality of where we are, and I don't think it should prevent us from being in community. Um, just as when we disagree about things within our families, we're still a family, and we're still in relationship with each other. And hopefully, if it's a healthy family relationship, we don't spend all of our family time focusing on just the areas in which we disagree. We still, we love each other and we do things together. And, you know, and, and sometimes we talk about the things we disagree on, but, but not all the time. Because if that's all you talk about, then it doesn't feel much like family anymore. Yeah. yeah. It, to, to be fair, in your book you say there are times you have to draw the line. And in the book you use the example of Westboro Baptist, where you say, like, we're going to draw a line. Like, that sort of behavior... That, that's not helpful. We're, we're, we're not moving things along. That's clearly not right. Right. These are the folks who, who travel around the country with signs that say God hates fags. And, uh, and, I, and I argue that, I, you know, I, I believe as much as possible in being willing to dialogue, sit down and dialogue with just about anybody, no matter how much I disagree with them on whatever issue. But there are some people that I don't have it in me to dialogue with. So, yeah. like, people who are openly espousing just you know, blatantly racist views. You know, there, there are times that I'm just like, you know, and Westboro uh, is one of those. But I also give an example of uh, a gay Jeff. Christian. I know Jeff Chu, yeah. who's written a great book called Does Jesus Really Love Me? Who did go to Westboro and sit down with them and like learn things from them, and which I find fascinating. Yeah. 
I, I'll say that for later. Um, <laughs> I, do a th- I, I did stand-up for a little while, and I had a joke about Westboro Baptist. This is just ignore. We're just going to talk, okay? And okay. I did a comedy clubs in Austin, and the joke didn't work. And I came to the conclusion that most of these people didn't know who Westboro Baptist was. Isn't that weird? I think that's a good sign for church. If the majority of people who are not like churchy people don't know who they are, like that's good for us. Like we yeah. don't want them connecting. Anyway, yeah, I would a, rather that nobody knows who they are. I but think that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Like I'm happy. I was encouraged by that, even though the joke was funny and they didn't laugh. But I'm sorry. Neither he nor there. Okay. Can you imagine yeah. that church? You're going to have people who have different conclusions on this issue. Do you think there's a way for churches to maintain community where people have different conclusions on this? Well, I think we have to because I think that the world is looking um, – well, I was going to say I think the world is looking to us for an example, and I don't actually think much of the world is looking to us for an example anymore, and I think that's sad. I think the world should be looking to us for an example. I think, I think it is – our responsibility as representatives of Jesus Christ to um, demonstrate to the world what it looks like to graciously, compassionately, lovingly disagree on major important issues without compromising your moral integrity. Um, And so I think, yeah, I think we need to be able to be in community. Now, that said, there are some very specific challenges for churches on certain issues. So, for instance, church has to have policies. If you are a church, you've got to have a policy about are we, you know, if, if the church performs weddings and a same-sex couple says we would like to have our wedding performed, you know, in the church by the church you know, minister, um, is the church going to perform it or not? That's a. There's not a lot of middle ground there. Either you perform it or you don't, and that's where it gets sticky, um, because for those of us who think that there's a right or wrong answer on this, um, which is I imagine most of us in this room, uh, whichever side we're on, um, we would like to see the church policy be what we think is is right, and we think that it's wrong if the church does the wrong thing. Um, and so at some point, you're going to run into these situations where um, it, it, the practical nature of it becomes difficult. But if we could at least get to the point where in our churches, whatever the church policy is, whatever the church position is, where there is, um, where people are able to talk about this without shame, without being dehumanized, without um, on either side, without um, f- feeling like they're they're being made out to be horrible people and not real Christians if they don't agree with the other members of the church. Um, without us assuming the worst motives of the people in the church we disagree with, with us being able to to say, you know, I think that you've got this wrong, but because I know you, I know that you are so sincere. I know that you've studied the scriptures, and I know you 
I know you got to this position, honestly, even though I think it's the wrong position. You know, where there's so much grace and love that people on both sides can feel welcome in the church and feel that they are as fully included as they can possibly be, even if the church policies disagree with them. If we could get to that point, I'm not saying that's where I would like for it to be because I would like for everyone to agree with me. But that would at least be an incredible witness to a polarized culture. And that's not where we are. I think you're right. It would be a great witness because I I think your statement at the beginning was right too. I don't think the church is what the world is looking to because we haven't given them something to testify about. Like we have not been a witness of an alternate way of doing community. I think Jesus describes what he would like for us to be that the world may know that we are one because we love each other. Uh, Jesus' prayer for those who would believe is that they would be unified, even if they have different opinions, but they would have unity. And I think that is the sort of thing that we can testify to the world of a different type of community. So uh, I I love the idea of trying to talk across the divide. I think that gives a a goal for what church can be. And I appreciate what you did with that. And so what I feel like we need to do, um, you've been introduced a little bit to the Church of Christ. And your birthday was September? Yeah. What was the day? September 7th. September. So we missed it by, by a little bit. But this is what I like to do is close. Okay, two things. First of all, can someone please take this man to get some Texas barbecue <laughs> and then tag me in a picture on Instagram just so I can see that it happened, okay? And bring Trey as well, okay? Trey, Justin, barbecue. Can someone make that happen? Yes? Okay, thank you. Second thing, since we didn't get to do a good Church of Christ birthday, happy birthday song to you, can we do that right now? Can we do that as we close? Yes? Where's someone who can sing? I'm not going to start this. I don't, I don't sing. Chad? All right. Chad, you can start this. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.